Yeah, we are continuing in our series, our summer break series called Defining Moments. And uh, we're saying a defining moment is when we are confronted by a particular truth that challenges us to make a decision, a decision that will dramatically impact our lives from that moment on. And last week we looked at the story of Zacchaeus, who was a chief uh, tax collector who was defrauding his own people. That's how much he loved money until he had his defining moment when the love of Jesus dispelled his love of money. And that was our defining truth last week, that we need an all-conquering, superior love to come in and invade or displace lesser loves, lesser idols in our lives like money and other such things. And that's exactly what Jesus did for, for Zacchaeus, and it's exactly what Jesus can do for each of us. And so today we look at another well-known story, or rather it's a parable, the Good Samaritan. And uh, in this story, Jesus gets asked the question, well, who then exactly is my neighbor? And in the answer Jesus gives, we discover that to know who your neighbor is, actually begins with us. You must first be a good neighbor. So that's our defining truth this morning. To know who your neighbor is, you must be a good neighbor. Now, I know that sounds incredibly Yoda-like, but I found it very challenging because essentially it's about us, not so much specifically as to who your neighbor is. And so, we're going to see in this story, it's, it's going to challenge us. It's going to challenge our comfort zones. It's going to challenge our ethnic and racial biases. It's going to challenge our generosity. It's going to inconvenience us. It's going to make us feel bad. But right at the end, we will see the secret to being a good neighbor. So hang in there with me. So like I said, our defining moment truth for this morning is to know who your neighbor is, we must be a good neighbor. And so the first thing we need to understand, if you flip over your bulletins, you'll see the outline of where we're going this morning. See, uh, the first thing we need to understand is the characteristics of a bad neighbor and then the characteristics of a good neighbor. Now let me just tell you, both are going to make you feel bad or maybe it was just me, as I was preparing this message, I I identify with a lot of the characteristics of a bad neighbor, and then the characteristics of a good neighbor, they just made me feel bad. So uh, anyway, here we go. Um, I'm just going to make you feel bad along with me, but like I said, hang in there for that secret. So you can uh, reach for your Bibles. Uh, It's Luke chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And um, you can go ahead and grab a Bible in front of you or somewhere uh, in your row, or you can click on it, uh, or you're welcome to have a look on the screen with me. But I want you to see it for yourself. I want you to see God's Word speaking for itself. Don't just take my word for it. Um, So here we go. I'm going to start off with the characteristics of a bad neighbor. And so just to be clear here, this point is not about us getting ammunition by which we judge our neighbor by to see if they're a good or bad neighbor. Rather, this is um, for us to do some introspection to see if we're a good or a bad neighbor. And so the, the first bad characteristic is insincerity of heart. And the insincerity that we're going to see here is first directed at Jesus. And so if our faith in itself, if our faith is not sincere, then it results in lives that are characterized by self-righteousness. 
So have a look at how our story starts. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 10 says this, Luke writes, and says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, firstly, a lawyer in those days is not like a lawyer we know today. A lawyer back then was an expert in the law, in the law of Moses, the Old Testament law, especially the first five books of the Bible called the Torah and other Jewish customs and other Jewish uh, traditions. And so every Jewish person, they would go off to synagogue school uh, to learn the law, but there were only a select few who had gone for more training, more education, and become a lawyer or an expert in interpreting the law. And so this guy is bright. This guy knows his stuff, but unfortunately the Old Testament scriptures had had no influence on his heart because his motive for asking a really, really good question here is one of deceit. Luke Rice, he says he wanted to test Jesus. Some other translations use the word tempt. He wanted to tempt Jesus. He wanted Jesus to fall into this temptation so as to discredit his ministry. And so this man's heart was, was evil. But of course, Jesus doesn't get into any panic. Rather, in a moment of sheer brilliance, he redirects the question. Have a look at verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, hey, you're the expert you're the expert in interpreting the law. How, how do you understand it? Have a look at his response, verse 27. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a brilliant answer. Spur of the moment, he throws out an answer like that. What, what he did was he takes the two main commandments that all of the other laws of God, all of the other commandments are summed up into. And even Jesus commends him, which I found a bit confusing at first. He says this, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And that word live in the Greek is, is zoe, means eternal life. And I'm thinking, well, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. No, no, salvation is by faith in you and you alone. It's not a works-based salvation. I mean, I can prove it to you. There's a whole book. Your, this is your book. And Paul, in particular, he says, no, salvation is by faith in Jesus alone. But look carefully at what he's saying. And this is the secret to eradicating an insincere and evil heart. He says, do this. And that do this is written in the present continuous tense, which means Jesus is actually indicting him. What he means is, live that out perfectly, Every single second of every single day that you are on this planet and you will attain salvation. So you think, oh, okay, let's just look at that again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, not some of it, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind. In other words, you're not allowed to say anything, do anything, feel anything apart from it being motivated and enabled by your love for God. Oh, and on top of that, you've got to love your neighbor perfectly. Failure to do that is failure to attain God's righteous standards, is failure to attain salvation. And so the lawyer recognizes this. 
And so now he's in a jam, now he's in a predicament. And you know what we do when we're in a predicament? We, we, we try to dig ourselves out, right? But we sometimes end up digging ourselves deeper. Or we try justify ourselves. So watch this, verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And we think, come on. The correct response would have been, Jesus, I've tried. We've all tried to live according to your laws, but it's impossible. The standard is way too high. It rather, the law exposes how sinful we are and how we fall short of it time and time again. We need grace. We need mercy. We need help. That would have been a great response. But rather, he, his response here further exposes his insincerity of heart and secondly affects his ability to be a good neighbor because by asking Jesus, who is my neighbor, he's alluding to the fact that there are some people who are his neighbors and some people who won't be his neighbors. In other words, he has a bias in whom he will be a good neighbor to and, and who he won't be to. The, the most appropriate question to ask should have been, how can I be a loving and sincere neighbor? In other words, what must I do to change and how must I live out that change? Because this is what we're arguing for and this is what Jesus is going to show us. To know who your neighbor is, you must first be a good neighbor. So Jesus decides to answer the question of who is my neighbor to further expose the characteristics of a bad neighbor. So he starts off by telling a parable, a well-known parable. Have a look at verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And so this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a, was a descent of about 3,500 feet, and, and most of uh, the road was about 18 miles long, and, and most of this 18-mile stretch was through a, a desolate mountain area full of, of gorges and gullies and valleys, the perfect hiding place for robbers and hijackers and thieves. And so most people in those days, they would then travel in groups. In fact, the Romans called this the red and bloody way. Not the highway, not a cool highway, the red and bloody way. And apparently at some, at some point they put a fort on the road. But now this guy is traveling alone and he's not described in any way. We'll, we'll get to that a bit later. He's most likely a Jew and he's hijacked by some pretty violent thieves. This is not your, your average mugging. They strip him of everything, everything that he has, including his clothes. And then they attempt, I mean, this is violent, they attempt to beat him to death so that they're not recognized later, so that he's not a witness of their crime. But Jesus tells us they weren't quite successful in doing that. And so just picture you in your mind what he looks like, naked and exposed to the searing heat blood everywhere, probably a couple of broken bones. And so if he doesn't get any help soon, he is going to die. So Jesus goes on, verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
And so Jesus highlights two religious figures here. A priest can be defined as someone who, who knows God, who loves God, who, who, who knows God's laws, and his responsibility, amongst other things, was to represent God's people before God, primarily by administrating sacrifices for their sins before God. And so he was most likely a man of compassion, a man of sincerity and of love. The Levite was, was an assistant to the priest. He would help uh, the, the priest with all the priestly duties and And so by his nature, he should be a compassionate and loving person as well. But here they behave completely in contrast to their positions. Jesus makes it very clear. No, no, no. They saw this guy. They saw the man lying there half dead. They saw the desperate situation that he was in. They saw his condition, yet their reaction was to immediately pass by on the other side of the road. So we think, what on earth is going on here? What further bad characteristics do we learn here? The second thing we see is bad neighbors avoid inconvenience. Apparently back in those days there was a a large priestly settlement in Jericho and so we can just, we can surmise and guess that maybe these guys, you know, they, they were on their way from Jerusalem to Jericho to have a meeting there, you know, maybe there was a big conference or, or maybe they were going home to Jericho from a big, you know, priestly uh, conference in Jerusalem and so maybe they, you know, they just, they see him and they go, you know what, I'm just, it's been a long week, I've been praying for people, counseling people, preaching, teaching, doing uh, sacrifices, you name it, my, my, my good deed tank is full. Maybe the priest was thinking, I'm going to leave it for the Levite, Barney. And so they're thinking, no, 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 this, I've been away from home. I just need to get home. This, this is an inconvenience. Maybe someone else will help him. The third thing we see, bad neighbors are too religious. And by religious, I mean too legalistic. You might remember the Pharisees uh, always got bent out of shape when Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. That's, that's legalism. It's an excuse not to get involved. It's an excuse not to love someone, not to to help someone. Their excuse could have been, you know, according to the law of Moses, we're not allowed to touch blood, and if we touch blood, we're deemed unclean, and, and we are religious figures. But not even the lawyer listening to this who knows his law, he doesn't even interject because he knows in the law of Moses there are procedures in place to make you clean again. Number four, bad neighbors are filled with fear. Maybe they were thinking, well, what if those robbers are still around? What if I stop and I help this guy? What if I'm attacked? And and we could think, well, that's a a legitimate excuse, right? Maybe they're family men, their families are back home. But isn't it an excuse to do nothing? To do nothing, I mean, maybe run to Jericho or run back to Jerusalem, whichever one is closest, or or wait for the Levite to come, or wait for someone to come, or scream for for help, do something. One preacher sums up the situation like this. Have a look at this, we'll put it on the screen. He says, they feared for what it would take to actually help this guy since he was so injured. And they feared what it would cost in the long run. Whatever the priest and the Levite's plans were would have been blown out of the water if they stopped. The priest and the Levite feared how much would be involved in helping this man. And we too, we we might feel inconvenienced when we fear how much involvement this will require of us. How much will this cost? 
How much time is this going to take? How much of my plans are going to be disrupted by this? Now, to make us feel even more guilty, let's look at what a good neighbor looks like. Point number two, characteristics of a good neighbor. Look at verse 35. But, so Jesus now turning this situation around. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so now we're introduced to the, the, the hero of the story, and the hero of the story is a Samaritan. Why a Samaritan? They, they were so despised by the Jews and vice versa. The Jews believed that they were half-breeds. They, they believed they were, they were half Jew and half Gentile, and the, and the Samaritan race came into being uh, from about 721 BC when the Assyrians invaded the, the northern kingdom of Israel. And after some time, the, the Israelites intermarried with the Assyrians, bringing about the Samaritan race. And then on top of that, the Samaritans had their own temple. They built their own temple. They had their own copy of the Torah, the law. And they interpreted it their way. In fact, there was a, a big issue between the Jews and the Samaritans as to the, the proper place of worship. And so they had worship wars. They had theological wars. And so you can imagine that the mere mention of the word Samaritan, Jesus has already got this lawyer's back up. He's thinking, seriously? You bring in a Samaritan into the story? A half-breed? They, they don't even know how to interpret the law properly. They, they worship in the wrong place. Why don't you bring in someone else? Why, why don't you bring another priest? Why don't you bring another, uh, another Jewish guy to further show the condition of this man's heart? He's now exposing the racial bias in him. Because remember, the point is, to know who your neighbor is, we must first be a good neighbor. And so your neighbor is more than just those of your own ethnic background or your same socioeconomic background. Racial bias exists in our hearts because we have the pride of self-righteousness, which is in total contrast to the Samaritan here. Notice Jesus uses the same wording for the priest and the Levite when they saw the man, just with a very different response. He says, and when he saw him, here comes the response, he had compassion. And so where does compassion come from? It comes from our hearts, right? And if you excuse the pun, that we're now getting to the, the heart of the matter of what it means to be a good neighbor. A good neighbor has compassion. And so look at how it plays out in and through the Samaritan. Look at verse 34. He says, he, he went to him. He didn't pass by on the other side. He went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine. And so the, the oil would, would soften the skin and the wine would purify the wounds. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, two denarii was about two days worth of labor, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And listen to this. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. How much of a contrast is this with the priest and the Levite in terms of inconvenience? I mean, we think, how much time did this take out of the Samaritan's schedule? Well, already we know that he spent a night, an extra night in the inn taking care of the guy. And this must have been painstakingly slow because he, he must have had to take the guy off the donkey every now and again, redress his wounds, hydrate him, 
And what about the danger? I mean, there still could have been thieves around, and, and we know from the story that he had money. And what about his own discomfort? I mean, the guy is now on the donkey, whatever it was, and he has to walk. And the cost? We don't know the final cost. That was up to the innkeeper. And so notice he says, hey, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back, pay, settle the account, and make sure he is okay. It's not a case of, yeah, here's a check, see you. Now look at what Jesus says, verse 36. Which of these three, he says to the lawyer, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. See that? The lawyer can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He's still so full of his self-righteous pride. But here Jesus not only tells us who our neighbor is, but most importantly, he tells us how to be a good neighbor. In fact, he gets the lawyer to say it. He says, the one who showed mercy. If you have mercy and if you have compassion, you will know who your neighbor is. Your neighbor becomes anyone who is in need of help. What's more is that a heart filled with mercy and compassion is able to help no matter the ethnic divide. A heart filled with compassion and mercy is able to sacrifice time, sacrifice money, sacrifice energy, and whatever it else it takes to help. And then Jesus finishes off by saying, and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The same response he gave to the lawyer earlier, meaning, again, this is in the present continuous tense, go and do that. Every single day, every second of every single day, as long as you are on this planet. The only way you are going to be a good neighbor is if you have mercy and compassion. Amen, let's pray, music team can come up. Right? I mean, th th that's where most, most, I'm just kidding, it's a music, no, I'm just kidding. Right, but I mean, that's where most sermons would end, right? Hey, just go do this, guys. Go be full of mercy and compassion. But if we're honest, how many of us would leave going, that's, that's a bit tough. I feel a bit convicted or I feel a bit daunted by that. How on earth do you do that? I mean, I could further motivate and say, guys, I'm sorry, you just have to do it. I pull out the Jesus card. Jesus is saying it. It's here in his word. We have a high view of scripture here. Let's just go do it. And so I, I, I could take the religious and, and, and moralistic motivational approach. Or I could take the secular and cultural way that says, hey, see a need, fill a need. You're driving around the island, you see a need, try your best to fill that need. Volunteer. And I, I think that's great, don't get me wrong. I mean, Jay and I, we were talking to literally our neighbor, next door neighbor, uh, a great lady, I'm not too sure where she stands in terms of her faith, but she was telling us of all the different areas that she volunteers in, and we're thinking, wow, that is amazing, that really is wonderful. But the secular and religious moral approach can only go so far. It has limitations. Look at this quote with me, I thought it was brilliant says this, but the problem with the moral or religious motivation is that it always has a limit. 
Because look what it's motivated by. It is motivated by a religious duty or responsibility. And so it can't sustain the call to love our neighbor which Jesus commands. It's not motivated by love. We will always come to the end of our rope. We won't help a certain type of person or people in a certain situation, or we'll limit the cost. This moral approach can take you a ways down the road of being a good neighbor, but it will always run into its limits because of what it's motivated by. So what is the secret then to being a good neighbor? And so this is where Tim Keller helped me out quite a bit. A lot of the time when, when Jesus is sharing a story or sharing a parable, he kind of draws us into a, identify with a particular character. I mean, you, you might remember, you know, you're reading the story of the, uh, the prodigal son, and you're reading going, no, no, I, I definitely identify more with the, you know, the young party animal brother, or some of you going, no, no, I definitely identify more with the, the old legalistic religious brother. And so look at what he does here. He gives all the characters in this story an identity. He, he gives them all a description, except for the guy who was robbed and beaten within an inch of his life. So the lawyer's standing there going, well, okay, I don't identify with the priest because I'm a lawyer. I tell the priest how to interpret the law. Uh, I don't identify with the Levite because I'm not a, a priest's assistant. Um, I definitely don't identify with the... Still, still can't say it because of his self-righteous pride. And so, that only leaves one character left to identify with. In fact, his identity has been left blank for us to fill our names in there. Why did Jesus do that? It's brilliant, brilliant move. To be a good neighbor, filled with compassion and mercy, we need to experience compassion and mercy. We need to experience compassion and mercy to such a degree that it dispels all of that pride in our lives. It dispels that prejudice, that bias, and our comfort levels. So much so that we then go and extend that mercy and that compassion. In other words, the secret sunrise is this, that Jesus is our greatest Samaritan. Jesus is our true neighbor who came to rescue you and I from our death of sin and the devil. I'll prove it to you. Look at Romans 5. Romans 5 verse 6. Paul writes, he says, For while we, okay, picture you beaten up by sin. For while we were still weak, weak in what? Weak in our sin. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But, contrast, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You notice the contrast of love and mercy here? God has mercy on us while we're weak in our sin. He says, while we're ungodly, what does that mean? While we're so not like him. Why are we sinners? What do sinners do? We, we sin. That's, that's what sinners do. And so, so picture the spiritually dead. We're, we're dead, spiritually dead in our sins, lying on this road, hopeless, helpless. And Jesus leaves glory, leaves glorious joy and fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. He takes on flesh. He comes down, and he's not afraid 
to be inconvenienced. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. In fact, he takes all of that sin upon himself and in return gives us his life so that we might have new life and live for the glory of our heavenly Father. He is our greater neighbor, our greater Samaritan. Look at our love. Our love is so conditional. Notice the word scarcely and perhaps. So perhaps we would die for a good person or a righteous person. Perhaps we would help someone who, who's like us, who deserves our help, who deserves our compassion. Not so with Jesus. He is filled with the divine love, divine mercy, divine compassion, so that this world of sinners becomes his neighborhood. And so you can see the secret. And you can see what Jesus was saying to the lawyer. He's saying, you, you're that beaten man. You're that beaten man. Not half dead, you're dead in your sins. You need divine mercy and compassion from me to come and save you. To save you from that rotten heart, that prejudiced, prideful heart, so that A, you can love God properly, and B, so that you can love your neighbor as yourself, and that new self is a new self, a new creation, filled with God's love and compassion so that everyone becomes your neighbor. Let me finish off with two stories. The first one is from 360 AD, and the second one from 2015. In 360 AD, the Roman Emperor Julian, he he wrote to one of his leaders expressing how angry and disappointed and frustrated he was at the religious decline of the Romans, how they were forsaking all of their Roman gods to go over to the Christian God. And he writes this, have a look at this, we'll put it on screen. And, And this is amazing, this is documented in history. He writes atheism, which I love. He describes Christianity as atheism, but anyway. Atheism has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. How amazing is that? Written, documented in history for everyone to see. It says Christianity was advancing through the loving service rendered to strangers. And he says they care not only for their own poor, but for the Romans as well. And the Romans were considered their enemies. That's why we're saying Knowing who your neighbor is begins with you. It begins with where your heart is. The other story is of a preacher in 2015 who just preached on the Good Samaritan in his church and uh, was on his way somewhere to have some lunch and uh, he describes a situation like this. I'll read the story to you. He says, as we climbed the stairs to exit the subway, I saw him, a homeless man, begging for change. Can I have a dollar, he asked passers-by, who looked down at the ground instead of into his eyes, refusing to acknowledge his humanity. 
I too looked away and continued walking. With each step though, my feet got heavier and heavier to the point that I could no longer continue moving forward. I heard two voices. One was the faint, defeated voice of the man asking for change. The other was my own, reciting the remnants of that morning sermon. I thought to myself, you are that priest. You are that Levite. With this parable in mind, I turned around and began talking to the man whose name I discovered was Timothy, or Dreads, as he liked to be called. As I looked into his eyes, his face brightened up. I asked him what he needed, and he told me he just wanted a sandwich. So we went to the local convenience store, and I told him to order whatever he wanted. As we ate together, he told us how excited he was to spend time with us. He invited us to swing by his shelter, he gave us the number of his new prepaid cell phone. As, I, as he shared his story with us, I began to notice a change in my own heart. Listen to this. In response to God's free grace, I acted in compassion and generosity. The gospel freed me to protect him, not myself. It opened my eyes to see him as someone God loves, which empowered me to acknowledge his dignity as someone God loves, not a mere statistic. Then he gets real. He says, I would like to say that we became great friends at that moment, but the truth is that we lost touch. A year later, though, I was standing in the street waiting to go into a meeting when I noticed a man begging on the side of the road. As he looked down, he asked each passerby for change. He seemed weak, weathered by a harsh life. And so I walked up to him to talk with him. He said, I love this town. Shocked, I asked why. He replied, because people like you stop and talk to me. Something about him seemed familiar, and I asked him his name, and he said, Tim. I smiled, I said, we've met. He replied, yes, I thought it was you. I remember when you bought me that sandwich last year. You know what I love about that story? It's not a typical Hollywood story where the guy, you know, his life turns around dramatically, he becomes a lawyer or an investment banker, as amazing as that would be. But it's a story of seeing someone and acknowledging them. Seeing them and acknowledging that they too are created in the image and likeness of Jesus and therefore they have dignity. That's what our great Samaritan does for us. He gives us a heart of compassion to see, to see people. But unfortunately, we still have the sin of self-righteousness lurking in us, of selfish pride lurking in us. But we have a great weapon to fight it off and so just to finish off, two practical suggestions for us. Number one, would you preach the gospel to yourself every day? Use the story of the Great Samaritan. Remind yourself, hey, I was that dead person, not half dead, dead, lying on the road, dead in my sins and trespasses. And it's Jesus, my true neighbor, who, who came down, wasn't inconvenienced. He came to find me. Remember last week's sermon, he came to seek it, to save the lost. 
And he took that sin upon himself. Give me his righteousness, his life, so that I might live for my Lord and my Savior, for his glory and his glory alone. Let the gospel massage compassion and mercy into our hearts every day. And then secondly, do what you love doing, but just invite someone to do it with you. Do what you love doing, but just invite someone to come along and do it with you. Just even if it's a spur of the moment thing, like, like yesterday afternoon, Jay was, was busy um, making flapjacks with the girls. And they made a whole bunch of flapjacks. And then the girls said, hey, why don't we just take some to our neighbor, literally our next door neighbor. And so they did that. They took around a plate full of flapjacks, gave it to them, came back. The neighbors came back maybe an hour later with, with the plates, thanked us, thanked the girls, and we got into a great conversation with them. Just a conversation. And so maybe you like paddleboarding, maybe there's a colleague who's just bought a paddleboard. Just say, hey, why don't we go paddleboard together? Maybe it's snorkeling, maybe it's fishing, maybe it's tennis, maybe it's coffee, whatever it might be. But as we do those things, and as you converse with that person, as you get to know those people or that person, you begin to see the pain. You begin to see the confusion, the questions that they have. And you can trust Jesus to help them, to be there for them, ultimately pointing them to Jesus himself, their great, true neighbor. Can you, I mean, just simple things. Can you imagine the impact we would have on this island if we did that? The impact that you could have on one person just a simple invitation, a simple conversation, letting someone know that you see them and you hear them. You'll know who your neighbor is by being a good neighbor, by you yourself looking to Jesus as your greatest Samaritan. Tell yourself every day what he did for you so that you will be enabled to go and do the same. Amen. Father, I ask of you that in this moment you would fill us with the secret. The secret is you. The secret is your love. The secret is your grace, compassion, and mercy. Would you flood our hearts with that grace, that mercy, that compassion? We have received it. We were sinners dead on that road, but Jesus, you came and you, you rescued us. You resurrected us. You gave us your life. We know what it's like to receive divine grace, divine mercy. Jesus, we are asking you in this moment, would you help us be your hands and feet? Would you help us be your loving embrace? to others who need that love, who need that grace, who need that mercy. Give us eyes to see like the Samaritan and a heart full of compassion to act. Not to pass by, not to pass it on to someone else, but to act for their good, for their salvation, and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.